0: Welcome to Light Your Leadership Talks, or Lil Talks. Every week, we bring you informal chats with leaders and leadership experts from around the globe. Your host is Lisa Anna Palmer, author of the international best-selling book, Light a Fire in Their Hearts, The Truth About Leadership. Listen in so that you too can stay informed about the latest wise practices that set great leaders apart.
1: I will have a little talk with Dora Letts about the importance of putting people and planet first, a topic that I'm writing about in my upcoming book, Leadership in the Hybrid Workplace, the seven steps to reset with purpose in a post-pandemic world. You may have heard of Dora, as she is the author of a great book I highly recommend called The Aspirational Business, She is also the owner of Giving Spring and the creator of a course at Purdue University called Business Planning for Social Entrepreneurs. From her earliest days, she managed truck drivers through the creation of her second business. Dara has since then devoted her career to understanding the unique ways businesses can make a positive impact on society and also helping leaders to accomplish their biggest goals. She's worked with small businesses, Fortune 100 companies, nonprofits, and she's even worked on the United Nations Impact 2030 program. Wow! Yeah. <laughs> to leverage business models that create sustainable revenue sources and incredible social impact. I'm very pleased and honored to have Dora come share her expertise and wisdom with us about aspirational business. Thank you, Dora. Welcome. Welcome to Little Talks.
2: Thank you. I'm really, really happy to be here.
1: That's wonderful. So, so let's dive right in. I, I've been reading your book and um, I, I really appreciate it because it gives a lot of great insight that can help people who are heart-inspired leaders to make a business case for why putting people in planet first is really important and how it can also help businesses thrive. So mm-hmm. let's let's begin, let's start at the start. So, how would you define an aspirational business or an aspirational leader? Yeah, so the
2: way that I think about aspirational businesses or leaders are really, aspirational businesses are groups of aspirational leaders who want to go out and make a difference in the world and they want to do it usually through for-profit models. So they're thinking not only about the type of impact they want to bring into the world, but how they actually do that within their organization so that it creates positive impact for their people, for their stakeholders, for their communities, for their partners, for their customers, for everybody within that business ecosystem.
1: Mm -hmm. So really it's a win-win-win situation, right? It is.
2: It (laughs) is. I have, I have, blog posts going back to like 2012, where I've been talking about the win-win. And it it took me, you know, the better part of a decade to get to the data that proved that it was possible in my own mind. Uh, But yeah, you know, it it is, there is a
1: possibility
2: for us to create wins for all of our stakeholders at the same time.
1: Yeah. And that's what, you know, that's why I love your body of work, uh, Dora, is because you did get to the research and you were able to prove it. A lot of us are left, you know, sometimes Uh, caught off guard on why not everybody thinks that way or why it's not so obvious that when you put your people first and you think about sustainability, that actually, you know, uh, help drive business and and profits. And, And so we may see the link, but not everybody does. So my next question is, is this. So often heads of HR or corporate social responsibility will stumble when pressed by senior management or the board um, to justify investing in people and sustainable projects or initiatives, right? So so then when, when they're explaining the importance of this, they might be met with reactions like, well, your touchy-feely initiative sounds really nice and all, but what yeah. about the shareholders? And, and what about the bottom line? So how, how do you respond to that?
2: Yeah, that's such a good question. And the way that I usually will think about that, it's like any other conversation that we're having. You know, we're trying to persuade somebody to understand our point of view or to take an action that we want them to take. Uh, we have to understand what, what is in it for them, what is their perspective, and couch our conversation In a way that's that's useful and compelling to them, and you know, I consider myself to be a heart led leader. If you watch my TEDx talk, you see it's amazing. I didn't cry in it, right? Because I just (laughs) care about this content, so deeply. (laughs) But but I'm also I'm also stubborn, and so there's this part of me that is I wanted people to come around. My my argument of like I don't understand why you don't see it. What it wasn't falling. It wasn't falling the way that I wanted it to. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. so ultimately. It became this question of why, why are CEOs so hesitant? Why is this such a difficult conversation to get mm-hmm. them on board with? Mm-hmm. And so that's really what started me down this journey. And what I ultimately realized is that many, many of our business leaders have been trained, right? Day one in business mm-hmm. school, we learn mm-hmm. that. Sh- shareholder management is what matters. Mm -hmm. Creating a return for the people who have invested in our business is the expectation for us as leaders. And that comes all the way back from the seventies. You know, we're, we're looking at 50 years of history. It's hard to undo that. Mm -hmm. And so not only does it take proof and evidence that it works it provides data that helps them understand that it is possible, and it requires a lot of time and a lot of us pushing in the same direction mm-hmm. to be able to show that that it is possible. Mm-hmm. So usually, when I am starting this conversation with leaders, uh, the first place is you're not wrong. Shareholder value is really important, but when you look at the broader ecosystem of everybody in your business, you are also going to create benefit for them and ultimately your shareholders. They're not it's not a trade-off like mm-hmm. we were taught in 1977. You know, our business right. theories have evolved. So have our businesses. We can do more than, than we were allowed to think we could.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I love that. I love that. So you, you did, you did the work to kind of build that argument, that business case, you know, if, if you could um, share with us, you know, maybe some of those amazing statistics that I read in your book in mm-hmm. terms of that, prove you know once and for all that putting your people and 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 sustainability first does help your business in big ways
2: yeah absolutely i would love I would love to talk about it and there's even more data coming out now from the pandemic mm. you know where we are seeing the urgency that businesses were met with and the way that they innovated it has accelerated the results even from the research I had done before the pandemic Wow. This is a proof point that we can use. There are lots of examples of businesses that did the right thing for their shareholders because they had to, Uh, but but that we can keep that momentum going. There's so many examples. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So let me talk a little bit about the framework. So when I look at a business and say, okay, do I consider this to be an aspirational business? I am actually looking at each of the business functions within the organization. So do they have a clear sense of purpose? Do they know who they're serving and why? And does that serve as a foundation for everybody else to follow? Mm-hmm. That's usually the CEO's role. Um, and if they're doing their job well, it makes it easier for other people to do the same. Mm-hmm. Then we can look at the metrics and say, okay, so if they've got this sense of purpose, are they actually measuring their success and accomplishing the things that they want to do? Because you know, like, like we see in most business books, what gets measured is what gets managed. Mm-hmm. And so if we say we want to change the world or we want to make things better for our customers, but we're not actually measuring our success at that, it's easy to fall by the wayside. Mm-hmm. And usually that reporting falls alongside the, C- the CFO, right? Or maybe the legal team, depending on the organization. Mm-hmm. So are they looking at the broader functions of the business? Mm-hmm. Then I like to look at HR and understand, are they connecting with their employees? Are they creating opportunities for them to thrive Safe working environments, living wages. I mean, that seems so basic, right? But it it matters in the way that your that your employees feel seen, and the way that they connect. And then, of course, you ladder up and you build more onto that sense of purpose and that level of engagement.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
2: After that, we look and see, is the company operating ethically? Are they doing everything that they need to do to be good corporate citizens? Are they paying their taxes? Are they meeting the, the local regulations for, for what their business needs to do? And just the, the ex, uh, what is it, the I's and T's, right? Mm-hmm. Dotting their I's and mm-hmm. crossing their T's of their business. And then the last question is, are they telling that story? And so all of the work that's being done within the organization comes out uh, in their marketing messages internally and externally. Mm -hmm. And do they align with what people inside the organization are saying? Mm -hmm. And that in this world of transparent messaging, where everybody can see what's happening within your organization, if they look hard enough, that's where that storytelling piece really comes in. Mm. So I look at all of those different angles. And what I did a few years ago was scored companies. I took companies and I scored them according to the aspirational business model. And then I looked to see, do they outperform? And they did. They significantly outperformed the ter- in terms of market performance. So investors mm-hmm. saw them to be a better investment and they made more money. They had a better return on equity and more net income. So they made more money, they kept more in- money, and they were re- they were... Re- they were rewarded by investors.
1: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And significantly so. We're not just talking like a couple percent here and there. The numbers were frankly
2: staggering when I looked at them. I, it took me a while to get comfortable with the fact that they were accurate because they were
1: so much bigger than I had expected. I just love your passion and how you're framing all of this for us. Now give us some like really s- juicy stats around this, like just to drive the the, the message home. Yeah. Thanks for asking. So when you actually look at the core
2: financials of a business, when you measure the aspirational business factors, you can see that businesses that have better scores that are more thoughtful about how they engage with their stakeholders, they make more money. So there's almost an 80% swing in net income for businesses that do create impact versus those that don't. And they kept more of their money. They, they they made a greater return on their money. So the return on equity was almost 34%.
1: That is incredible. It, amazing. it really is amazing.
2: <laughs> yeah. And, uh, you know, and because they they made more money, they kept more money. They're also more rewarded by investors. So investors want see that and and perceive the companies as being more valuable. So it's really great because it means that whether you are publicly traded or privately traded, that, that there's an incentive for doing this work within your organization.
1: Absolutely. And it drives home, you know, the, the importance of what we've been hearing about the triple P bottom line. And now you're mm-hmm. like proving it, which is amazing. You know, yes. it's no wonder the UN asked you to come and do work for them. <laughs> <laughs> Well, that, that was before I did the data, but I have to tell you a, a funny story because
2: one of the things that um, you started, you know, with how do we get, how do we get to these, to the people who maybe are skepti- skeptical of this work or, or focused on the data. And so, so much of this work. At my father is a Milton, tree, Milton Freeman trained MBA out of the University of Chicago. He's my most loving skeptic. Mm-hmm. And so as I was starting to do all of this research and do all of this work, he would say, you know, kid, like, I, I guess you're right. I mean, theoretically, but I don't know. It just doesn't feel intuitive to me. And so for every piece of data that I would find, I would call him and say, oh, you know, what do you, what do you think about this, dad? You know, and I would, I would try to kind of test the market and it took me the better part of four years before he finally said, oh, now I get it. And the thing, the moment that he got it was when I said, dad, here's why it works because you can have a great strategy for doing this work, but if your team is not capable and prepared to execute it, it doesn't matter what your strategy is. So you not only have to have a good strategy for uh, for purpose work and engaging your people, but you have to have the culture and the competency to actually pull it off. And only when you have those do you have the data. And that was the moment when he said, "Okay,
1: that." That makes sense to
2: me. I understand that a strategy alone isn't enough, that I have to be able to execute it meaningfully.
1: Love it. Love it. You know what? This feels, and I'm sure many of us out there uh, with with this view uh, of uh, being heart-inspired leaders feel vindicated, validated. (laughs)
0: Thank you. Way
2: to go, Dara. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you to everybody who's made this work possible. No, I I feel that too, right? That yeah. that moment. Like this is just the proof that
1: we needed to be able to justify what we all already intuitively,
2: intuitively yes. knew. Um,
1: so so let's let's talk a little bit more about aspirational leaders, right? Mm-hmm. So what are some of the stumbling blocks or or things that aspirational leaders need to, to look out for?
2: Mm. Yeah. So the very first thing, it it really, it kind of depends on the role that you're in, but really being cross-functional is critical. So an HR leader who is doing incredible work, I see this a lot of times where an HR leader has built this culture and people feel supported and they're they're happy and they're engaged, but somehow that story doesn't make it over to marketing for them to engage with their customers to say, Hey, we're doing really good work. And we're a good company that you should feel good about doing business with. Mm. Maybe you see it in recruiting efforts, but but not within the broader story. And that's just a missed opportunity.
1: Right, right. Yeah. Um, and that's uh, that feels more integrated too, right? Right. I, another example, you might
2: see an operations leader who is working to build a, an ethical culture, but there are maybe some misaligned incentives over on the other side of the business. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, you know, we want people to slow down and operate safely, but they're they're compensated based on how fast they work and, and that creates dangerous work conditions. And so those two things create an obstacle. So really understanding how the leadership team comes together and understands where are their issues and why are they happening and realizing that it's not about finger pointing, but it's about unraveling the challenges together, uh, mm-hmm. that that's that's where the value comes in through this work
1: yeah and, and in the sense i'm getting it's like it's a short-term view versus long-term view as well right because yeah you you know people working faster puts them at greater risk and if they get injured well you know what that's going to affect your bottom line and if you get enough of that over time well guess what that's you know that's that's going to make it plunge versus like let's build a culture of health and safety and uh engagement and then all of a sudden you know while there's a bit a more upfront investment in the longer term, you're just going to see your bottom line keep climbing, right? Yeah, you. that's exactly
2: right. And, you know, I have some data that's not quite ready to be to be shared yet. But one thing that's very interesting through the pandemic is you can look at businesses that invested in their communities where there was stronger community health. Mm-hmm. Those organizations outperformed through the first two years of the pandemic. So because they had better health outcomes, in their community, the business thrived. Oh, and, wow. you know, so so that is one of those statistics and data points that I wish we didn't have, right? Mm-hmm. But we can see that there is, there is a tie, and especially in times of crisis that we can
1: it benefits us to have made those investments. Wow. I can't wait for that research to be published Dora. we'll have to touch base on that when, when it gets, <laughs> yeah. uh, well, it, it's so important, right? And again, it, once again, it proves let's put people first. I, I am struck by that
2: story as you're, as you're talking, I have this vision of the the fish in the fishbowl. that doesn't know what water is right. Yeah. As, as business leaders, we get so caught up in the, in the, the business of our business that we forget that we are operating within basically a large ecosystem of people, whether they make up our customers, our potential workforce, our current workforce, uh, the communities who give us license to operate, the government uh, entities that are creating the rules that we need to operate within, partners and suppliers that are creating everything we need. They're all Mm -hmm. people-based.
1: They don't Mm -hmm. exist
2: outside of our business. They are our business. Right.
1: In your book, you mentioned uh, that aspirational leaders need to build operational processes that align with an aspirational vision. Can you Mm -hmm. elaborate on that a little bit, please? Yeah. So I actually will use the same model that I
2: went through earlier. So Mm -hmm. what is our vision? Who are we serving and why? How do we create metrics? Mm -hmm. Are our people taken care of? And what do we need need to do to make sure that they are? How are we operating ethically? Are there issues or challenges? You know, what's hiding under the rocks that we need to address? Mm-hmm. And then lastly, how do we tie those pieces together and tell this story? Mm-hmm. Um, so actually if people go to my website, I do have a list of resources that will walk them through the way oh, they can perfect. be thinking about this, this perfect. work.
1: And, and and when I, and we'll get your website in, in a moment, um, mm-hmm. uh, before we, we close out, but, um, I was also, when I saw operational processes, that made me think about, like, operationalizing values, Uh because a lot of times, you know, companies spend a lot of time and money creating a list of values, uh, creating a mission, vision, statements, etc., which are important, they can be aspirational, provided that they're actually put into practice and people know what they are. I mean, I've had <laughs> situations where I, you know, I would ask, you know, leaders, we're talking CEOs and VPs here, like what are what are your top values? And they just spent time maybe a year before doing it and they couldn't remember what they are. That's right. Right. <laughs> so that's right. And and then, and then it's okay, now that you know. How do you put them into practice? How do you operationalize and systematize those values so you can actually get a benefit from them? So maybe tell us a little bit more about what you've seen or or what you advise in that area. Yeah. The
2: number one missed opportunity that I see is in performance appraisals. Mm. When you go through the performance appraisals with your people, you should be looking for ways that they are living out or missing those values and understanding Mm -hmm. how how do you incentivize or or bring people back into alignment. Mm-hmm. Um, because people care about those. They're paying attention. It's the one time, right, that right. they probably get documentation specifically focused on their own performance, yeah. um, especially if it's positive. Um, so in your performance appraisals, put your core values and ask for examples where people are living them out. I mean mi- I see that as a missed opportunity. Yeah. Um, also volunteer programs are a great opportunity for, you can create a program, people get to choose where they want to work or where they want to volunteer, but you ask that it aligns with the values so that I know if I'm working at a specific, uh, nonprofit, a food, a food kitchen, it's because we care about, um, taking care of people who are, who are struggling, whatever that value would be. You know, I'm kind of making something up there, but, but finding those volunteer opportunities that connect—that's another really easy way um, right. that you can live out those values. Yeah.
1: So in other words, work your values, right? And uh, and also, I, I, I uh, some of the exercises that I, I've used before, which are pretty powerful, I've learned from from other mentors, is like if you're having a meeting, ask people to explain how they've seen values play out that week. Can you give us a brilliant idea? Of time when you saw somebody uh, show, let's say passion is one of the values, you know, demonstrate passion or a time that you yourself were a team player last week. So, so operationalizing every day in your performance evaluations all over the place and, and make sure they're easy to remember. (laughs)
2: that's, That's true. And that they're specific enough that they don't sound like everybody else's, but yes, take them off the wall, bring them into your daily work. That's, that's really, it's really important.
1: Great. I love it. How do you see and you mentioned that about, you know, in, in terms of community health, et cetera. But how do you see aspirational businesses win during these uncertain times? And how do you see them come out on top compared to other businesses who only focus on the bottom line?
2: Mm-hmm. Well, I think one of the one of the things that I noticed especially during COVID, were people's ability to innovate alongside their values. Mm -hmm. So if they saw that something was happening in their community and they were in a position to to use their resources or their skill set or their knowledge base to to make an impact, that people were more prepared to mobilize and take action against those things. So as a result, they saw healthier employees or they saw um, community branding that went out. They, they reduced um, supplier challenges or maybe they uh, maybe they had a uh, maybe they had a partner that that was able to find a new resource that they didn't know that they needed or had. Mm-hmm. You know, you see those little pieces of innovation throughout because everybody was so aligned towards mm-hmm. ensuring public health. Everybody in an organization was like, OK, this is our most important thing. Let's go figure out how to do it. Right. Uh, it saw benefits and it happened faster than if you were trying to do, you know, five or six different things, which many of us are. Right. Um, so we right. saw a greater speed, but the outcomes were still the same.
1: Yeah. And, and also like the, the inside I'm drawing as, as you're speaking, I'm, I'm getting mm-hmm. aha moments is that, you know, because uh, aspirational leaders care so much, cared enough to like all come together, put our differences aside and make it work. Like we, we need to survive here. We need to make it work let's do whatever we can. It's not business as usual. We need to k- take care of people, et cetera. Versus when during time of crisis, if you don't have that strength of, of uh, basically, you know, operationalized love and caring and compassion for people, then people start to turn against each other and actually start to to work against each other. And, and then things start to fall apart. Yeah. So um, there's another part that I read. It was about activating employee preferences. And uh, we already talked about the aligning with values, but activating employee preferences. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Yes. So
2: I have the best story of, of this. And i it's one of my favorite. I will I don't think I'll ever stop laughing about it. But I was working with an organization and we were building a volunteer program, but we were thinking about their values and trying to uh, to understand what was going to be interesting across the organization, and so we had done a survey, and we asked a couple of questions. And one of the questions was like, "What? What is one organization that you already support, and why? And are there any that you wouldn't?" And one person responded, "Well, I would, uh, I would definitely not support any pro-life organizations. That's really important to me, and I am an avid member of the Kentucky." Uh, Turkey Hunters Association or something very specific about hunting, hunting organization. Right, right. Um, And then literally the next survey response was, well, I'm really interested in pro-choice organizations but I would have a really hard time, uh, with anything that supported gun advocacy. Wow. So you know that these two people were literally like probably sitting next to each other in cubicles, right? Right. Like, I'm picturing Dwight Schrute and Jim, you know, just <laughs> yeah, kind of in, the in, the, in their own little worlds. Uh, but then at the same time, then the next question down was talking about which of the organization's values were most important to them. And they both aligned on the values of education and economic empowerment, which really aligned right. with what this entity was all about. Right. And so it was such a great story of saying, Love you know, it. it's not it's not political. It doesn't matter. Uh, what you do or don't want to do, right? You get to choose what's important to you, but we're going to align with these core values that are relevant to our business, because this is what we do. And this is what you do in your daily work. Right, um, right. I just, that's my, that's my favorite story of how we can use values and organizational alignment to really transcend individual
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Um I'll say transcend politics mm-hmm. and allow people to connect individually with the work.
1: Mm. And that is so important right now, right? There's politics, there's which side of the, you know the debate on uh on COVID-19, on masking, anti-masking, all that stuff. Because right. and, and that and that's the reality that leaders are having to deal with as we bring more and more people back to to work face to face in person. And and so what the, some of the feedback I'm hearing is that there are Actual conflicts popping up because of this that weren't necessarily there before. It's almost like things mm. are coming to a head. So I mm. think it's great advice that you just gave, and that it's, you know, people will have their individual values that will differ from one another. Because, I mean, of course, and the bigger your organization is, the more there's likelihood that there's going to be people with different perspectives and points of view. And then to, as a leader, we need to find what is that common value. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. I mean, I think you summed it up beautifully.
1: Uh, it's to find those common commonalities that bring us together. So now you also talk uh, about your um, like time off policies, right? So I'd love to know about your philosophy on time off policies, because that's almost like a fixation nowadays Hybrid, virtual, yeah. flexible time—you know, regular hours—all that is kind of spinning around in people's minds, and leaders are trying to figure out what to do with it. <laughs> so, so I'd love to hear yeah. about, uh, you know, another aspect of that, which is important, which is time off policies. What does time off policy look like in, in today's day and age? That's a that's a good question. You know, I don't know that I have I have
2: dug deep enough into that. I know that it is its own really specific. Field of study as it relates to benefits packages and, and culture, um, you know, I think it, it depends so deeply on the on the organization. But um, some organizations you see adjusting their uh, their sick time policies to ensure that families right are are healthy and that the the individual has opportunities to operate within a, a broader ecosystem and, and meet their caregiving. Mm -hmm. opportunities. Mm -hmm. Um, but you know, I think it just really comes back to understanding what kind of engagement opportunities we are, we are creating for our employees and what type of environment is best for them to be able to pull that off. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. I've worked with people in the past who've created volunteer programs and they're worried that, um, people are going to take advantage of them. Right. Mm. And and when I looked at it, I said, but most of your employees are working like 60 hour work weeks anyway. So you're not, you're not engaging with a workforce that's clearly trying to shirk. Right. Duty. Good point. Good point. Yeah. Um, and 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 so creating that space, like there's probably a bigger question related to work-life balance. Like, is if you have a value or a impact statement that talks about work-life balance or healthy employees or um, whatever that value might be, and you don't take action towards it, that I think that that is a problem.
1: So I, I think there needs to be a lot more reflection on how uh, any type of initiative that engages employees and, um, and it's true for sustainability as well, you know, to to make sure that once you say something that you keep your word and, mm-hmm. and a, a good now a little bit archaic example, because of, you know, what what's happened during the pandemic was telework policies. Mm. So I I had seen employers have telework policies for years. And yet whenever somebody tried to ask for it, it became like this big ordeal. It was a bureaucratic <laughs> process that would take three months to get approved and needed like approval all the way up the ranks. And then once it was approved, like the person kind of got the vibes, you know, maybe management wasn't so happy about it anyway. So so here you are offering something that's really attractive and can make a huge difference in the life of employees to help them achieve that harmony. And uh and then you kind of give it to them, but it's like you're still holding on to it and you might even take it away, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I completely
2: I completely agree. I think um I think in addition to being consistent, being really honest mm-hmm. um, about yes. what you are capable of and, and right. what is going well. You know, one of my favorite examples of an organization that had some had some stuff that they had to work through, um, and it wasn't specific to, to time off, but overall culture is Nike. Mm-hmm. So if you look at Nike's 2018 annual report, you can read the letter to shareholders from the CEO that literally says, we've got some problems. Because if you think back to that time, they had people striking for sexual harassment. They had Mm. lack of diversity within their ranks. They had a lot of internal cultural ickiness. That's a technical term, right? That was happening under under the scene. And he, he talked about it and he said, here's what we are going to do. And he said, we're going to do a pay equity statement. We are going to understand where in our hiring practices, We are creating obstacles to increase diversity within our organization. We are going to do dot, 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 dot. Mm -hmm. And they weren't perfect, right? They didn't come out perfect from day one. It took some time, but they did the work. It took a few years. And to me, the beauty is that when then they came out with some of their social justice efforts, both with USA Soccer or Colin Kaepernick, different things that were happening related to social issues with a focus on diversity. Their advertisements were a celebration of the work that they had done internally. It wasn't, hey, look over here. Well, there's ugly stuff happening. It was a celebration of the hard work that the organization had done. Mm -hmm. And if they had not addressed that in the first place, they would never have been able to reap the opportunity that propelled them towards incredible brand building and financial returns either. Right,
1: right. And positive yeah. impact because there's such a, 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 the thought leaders, right? And there's a lot of people that look up to their brand. Um, and this is, this is where things might fall apart uh, in organizations where you, you get the CEO or, you know, the VP of, you know, communications or whatnot, uh, addressing the employees and saying, you know, it's, you hear it when you do focus groups with employees. You know, oh, it, that that message was sanitized. They're not telling mm-hmm. the truth, or they're they're embellishing things. It doesn't feel right. So they might be saying things uh, and hiding in a way. I, I know they're trying to stay positive, but the thing is, don't kid yourself. Employees see right through it. They see yes, right they it yes, they do you lose credibility the instant that they can see that you are not stating the truth. And I agree with you 100% state it, you know, you don't have to catastrophize, just like state it, tell the truth, and say, this is what we're doing to address it. And like, really step up. And that takes humility, it takes courage, it takes leadership. And and that's what we need to see more of. Absolutely. And metrics. And you metrics, don't forget this <laughs> Do not forget <laughs> the metrics. Think Data. think of Dora Lutz when, when you're thinking of metrics <laughs> for to prove these cases and, and why these things are so important. Yeah. So uh so Dora, how can people reach you? What's the best way for people to reach you? Yeah, thanks for asking. Uh the best way for people to connect with me really
2: is on LinkedIn. Uh, but a lot of content, a lot of resources, best practices, examples of companies that I see are doing things, I think, that are really innovative and unique. Um, so that's one really easy way to connect with me. The other thing they can do is go to giving-spring.com. I have tons of resources up there um, that are downloadable and free. And if somebody wants to uh, kick around an idea, say they're struggling with something that we talked about today, uh, they can schedule a, a 30-minute call and we'll talk through um you know, what their challenges are. And I can, I can try to help guide them through what I've seen that's worked for others.
1: Excellent. And grab a copy of your book Yay! on Amazon. Yes. Thank you business. And uh, so, so Dora, thank you for that. Any last uh, pieces of advice for leaders? Yeah. You know, I think keep up the, keep up the hard work.
2: I, I know that your audience um, is, is wholehearted and wants to do this work and they want to do it because it's the right thing to do. Um, and I know that it is so incredibly hard and often disheartening because we don't feel like we're making the progress that we want that we want to see. Uh, and I know that I have I have felt that many times myself. But the reality is we we are making progress. We, with every piece of good work that we do, we're showing that it's possible. We're giving ideas to somebody else. We are we're just doing the best we can and we're gonna see this collective movement. It's picking up steam so fast, faster than I would have ever. Ever imagined? So, just for your audience, you know, take heart. You know, keep keep working, uh, and just know that it really it really does matter. I think that's probably the the most important message I could send today.
1: Oh, thank you for that heartfelt message. Thank you so much, Dora. Keep doing this amazing work so that we can keep proving that this really works. And uh, together, we can make the world a better place for sure. Absolutely. For sure. Thank Absolutely. you so much. It was an honor to have you on Little Talks.
0: A big thank you to our Little Talk listeners for tuning into today's show. Please share with friends and colleagues who care about leadership and what is happening in our workplaces. If you'd like to keep this conversation going, please go to LightYourLeadership.com to book a discovery call. While you're there, be sure to grab your copy of Light a Fire in Their Hearts, The Truth About Leadership. We wish you an excellent rest of the week, and until next time, remember to light your leadership because building authentic business relationships will help you to love your life as a leader.